Last Sunday, I shared the meaning of the word Maranatha. When Paul the Apostle closes off his epistle to the Corinthians, one of his last words as a way of saying goodbye to that congregation, he writes that letter, is this word Maranatha. Which, in modern English for you and I, simply means the Lord is... That was pretty good for me. I can see you learned that well last week. (laughs) The Lord is coming. Amen. The Lord is coming. You and I, as believers, have what the Bible calls a blessed hope. And we are eagerly anticipating, looking forward to a couple of things. I'm looking forward, and I'm sure you're looking forward, to the day when the salvation story is brought to its conclusion. Anybody sick and tired of sin? Or you want some more? Come on. (laughs) We're sick and tired. and, And we're looking forward to the Lord coming and bringing all to that to its conclusion. We're looking forward to the day when Christ and and you and I with Him participate in the fullness of God's eternal purpose where Jesus comes back to claim the inheritance that His Father has ordained for Him. But this morning, I just want to build on some thoughts that we shared last week. Then that is this. In order to understand our present experience today, when we're saved or born again, or when we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, we look for an explanation how to understand that. And we made the comment that the New Testament always looks forward to the final and the last day. The day when Jesus comes, what often is referred to the second coming, but I'm going to tell you why I call it the appearing much more. The day Jesus returns. On that day, there are tremendous things that happen, uh, catastrophic changes that will take place in the entire globe, the entire universe, in heaven and on earth, powerful things that are going to take place. But the believer looked at that at the end, and they said, well, what I have experienced is already kind of like that. It's a foretaste of things that are going to happen because the things that have happened to me already is just a foretaste, the beginning process and I'm waiting for the whole process to end. Today I want to share with you four concepts of what the last day is going to be like. In other words, let me tell you about your future. Let me tell you what's going to happen when you get to the end of the journey for the believer. What's going to happen when you get to the end of the journey? The appearing of the Lord is like a brilliant diamond. No matter which way you're going to turn the diamond and look at it, it's going to shine with brilliance. And there are four words, or there are four concepts, that the New Testament uses to describe the brilliance of that final moment of history. The first one is a very simple word. That that day is often referred to in the scripture as, guess what? The day. Very simple. 
a lot of people were so taken and so eager with the, the, the final appearing of the Lord in all of His glory that they just simply used that phrase, that day. And when people, one believer said to the other believer, the day, they knew what they were talking about. They were talking about the day when Jesus splits the sky and He, and he returns. The day. There are several scriptures like this one. That, that day should not overtake you as a thief. They understood what they were talking about when they used the phrase, that day. Or this phrase here, every man's work will be manifest, for the day will declare it. They understood what that day was meaning. Or this exhortation from Hebrews that says, Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And they always, the believers would talk to one another about the day. The day. The day as something that everybody was eagerly looking forward to and anticipating. In the New Testament, that phrase is used in many ways. But know this, that day is all about Jesus. It's His day. The New Testament describes that as the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord Jesus. The day of Jesus Christ or the day of Christ. It's called many things. But it is His day. Now where did the New Testament get that phrase, the day of the Lord? It's actually an Old Testament reference and it's used dozens and dozens and dozens of times in your Old Testament as the day of Jehovah or the day of Yahweh if you read it in Hebrew. The day of the Lord. And the the New Testament writers took all of those thoughts from the Old Testament about the day of the Lord and they gave it all to, to describe Jesus. And when he appears, the day of the Lord is the day of the appearing of Jesus. And when you understand that's the background from which they got that that phrase from, then you can bring a whole pile of wealth of revelation from the Old Testament forward, and it all comes down to that final moment when Jesus appears. There are from the Old Testament there are three things about that day. The first thing the Old Testament teaches about that day is that the Lord who appears is a conquering and a victorious warrior. The day of the Lord is when he shows up in like military, militant power. It's his day. It's the day of battle. And in that day of battle when he arrives, in the entire scene, he's the center of the entire world and he overwhelms all his enemies with absolute and complete victory. In the Old Testament scriptures, the day of the Lord means it's the day when he monopolizes absolutely everything, overthrows all his enemies, and the story and the war is over. That's what you get to look forward to. Amen. I mean, there's scriptures like this. I'll just quote a few from the prophet Isaiah, where it says, For the day of the Lord of hosts will be upon everyone that is proud and lofty. Everyone that is lifted up will be brought low in the day of the Lord. Or this other quote from the prophet Isaiah that says, And what are you going to do in the day of visitation, in the desolation that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your glory? 
I mean, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures like that from the Old Testament. When the day of the Lord comes, He comes in battle, monopolizes the thing, and it's over. That's Jesus appearing. What you and I often refer to as the second appearing. The New Testament brings all of that thought forward. And just one of many verses from the New Testament, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.8 if you want the reference. It says that when he appears, whom the Lord, talking about his enemies, whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So when that day comes, he comes with flaming fire. He comes in the destruction of all your enemies. How many are glad for that? The enemies of all of God's people are annihilated, are vanquished. Sickness, disease, evil, sin, destruction, Satan, demons, fallen angels, and even death in the grave itself is vanquished with everlasting destruction from His presence. He's coming to wrap up the story and get rid of all enemies for eternity. That's the day that you and I are looking forward to. You see, I'm not looking forward to the coming of the Lord just to escape pressures. Jesus said in the world you've got plenty of them. That's just the way it's going to be. I'm not looking to escape pressures. I'm looking at that day for them to all be vanquished. It's the day of victory. It's the day of victory. The second sense in which that word day is used from the Old Testament brought forward into the New Testament, the second sense is this, that the day is always a court scene. You appear before a judge. How many know you're going to have your day in court? Anybody ever say that to you? I'm going to have my day in court. Church, at the Lord's appearing, you who have suffered, you who have been persecuted, and here in the West, honestly, we haven't got a clue what suffering is, and we haven't got a clue what persecution is, and we don't know what it's like to be ridiculed for our faith in any meaningful manner whatsoever. You know, you visit other parts of the world, church, we got it easy. Compared to the rest of the world, we got it easy. But the church has suffered, there's been martyrs, Christians have not been treated fairly, it seems as if the world uh, is winning, but I'll tell you what, believer, you're going to have your day in court. Come on. You're going to have your day in court. I'll tell you when that day is. It's when Jesus appears and the whole world is judged. And you're going to be vindicated. You're going to be recompensed for all your suffering, for all the trials, for all the hardship. It's going to come to an end. You're having your day in court and I'll tell you what, you win. Come on. Come on. That is a reality that's in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3.13 Every man's work will be tested. The day will declare it. That's why Paul is going to tell you and I advise us in 1 Corinthians 4.5 Don't judge anything before the time until the Lord comes. Who will, at when He comes, it says, He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. When he comes, he will make manifest the secret counsels of the heart, and then every man will have his praise of God. Now, I like that. 
Because we talk about us thanking the Lord and praising the Lord. Well, when He comes in judgment and we all have our day, the enemies don't want to see that day, but God's people certainly do. Now it says, they will have their praise of God. To me, that's an overwhelming thought. I mean, I can hardly even know how to begin to praise Him for all that He has done. But church, are you hearing the good news? On that day, He is going to give you praise for what you have done with your lives for Him. That put you to silence. That one did. Can you just imagine that? Where He's going to give you praise and give you thanks for how we have dedicated our lives to Him. Knowing that you and I will give an account to Him, Paul the Apostle will often say to to, to live your life in such a way with the knowledge that you will give an account of yourself to the Lord. And that's why he makes exhortations like this out of Philippians chapter 1. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he that has begun a good work in you will keep performing it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's why he goes on in that chapter in Philippians 1 to say, that you may approve things that are excellent so that you would be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. The day is when he deals with all the enemies and then the believer has their day in court. When Jesus comes. There's a third theme brought forward to the New Testament about what the day means. And it simply means the day is something full of light. It's full of light. In other words, it's not the night time. It's not the darkness of the night. Just like every, there's a miracle every morning. If you get up early enough to see it, if there's no clouds that is, there's a miracle every morning. Every 24 hours there is a victory where the darkness has to give way to the light. Amen. Are you going through a bit of a dark time? i got good news for you. Every day it yields to the light. Right now, the world is in night time. And under the cover of night, and you get these in Romans chapter 13, you get this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where the two passages that really deal with this in the New Testament. And the world, present world, is characterized as nighttime. People want to be hidden. They don't want to be discovered. They don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to be transparent because there's things in their heart they don't want anybody else to know about. They do deeds that they don't want anybody else to know about. And they hide and they hide and they hide under the cover of darkness. And and those scriptures says, well, people are reveling in drunkenness and wantonness and strife and jealousy. They try to hide from the light. The New Testament emphasizes this, that the nighttime is almost over. The dawn is about to break into world history. The coming of the Lord is going to put an end to the nighttime of the world. And the dawn, the light of glory, is about to appear in history. So Paul the Apostle in these passages would say, keep yourself alert. 
Keep yourself awake because the crisis is imminent. You don't want that to happen. You don't want that to happen and you're sleeping. You don't want to miss it. So wake up. Be, be diligent. Be watchful. Be, be aware of what's going on. The dawn is breaking into history. It's the day of light. And so whenever we read that, that appearing of the Lord is referred to as the, the day of the Lord, it's all about Jesus. It's Jesus coming to vanquish all of your enemies and His enemies. Amen. It's Jesus coming to give you your day in court because the world has not treated you right. Amen. And it's the day when the nighttime and the darkness of history is forever gone in the blaze of the dawn of His appearing. The day of the Lord. That's the first concept that is used. The second concept that is used to describe that final moment You may recognize this if I use the word apocalypse. If you don't recognize that, you'll know it by its more common term called revelation. Now the reason you know that, because you all know that the last book in your Bible is named Revelation. When I read the book of Revelation, believe you me, I am not interested in searching out the identity of the Antichrist. I am not interested in the revelation of a false prophet. All that's there in the Bible and I studied it and I perceive it, how I understand those things. But the book of Revelation is not about how bad the world is. The book of Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. When the apocalypse, when that day comes, when it's the revelation of Jesus Christ... It's the coming of the Lord. Many times in your English Bibles when you see that phrase, the coming of the Lord, like 1 Corinthians 1.7, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Greek word there is apocalypse. We're waiting for the revelation. So when you hear that word revelation, if something's going to be revealed, in English, what does that make you think? If something's going to be revealed. It simply means this. The veil is going to be removed. It's like I have a big veil here and there's something behind me. And you don't know what it is. And I keep talking about it and giving you hints. And you're going, I want to see it. I want to see it. What's what's behind there? And you're guessing what's behind there. The moment's going to come when the veil gets pulled back. And you're going to see what's there. That's what this word apocalypse or this word revelation means. It means that which is hidden is now made visible. How many know that there's a lot of stuff hidden right now? How many know there's a lot of questions you have? And say, I don't get it, God. Life is full of mysteries. And we have questions. I have good news for you. There is coming a day when the veil will be lifted back and every question you have ever thought or cried over will be answered in its completeness. The mysteries will no longer be mysteries. You're going to see, once you see it, you're going to say, God knew what He was doing all the time. Amen. God knows what He's doing all the time. Just because you can't make sense of it doesn't mean God's not making sense out of it. 
He sees from eternity to eternity. He knows what's going on in people's hearts. He knows the motives. He knows the whole story. There are a million factors that you and I don't get. And because we don't get all those factors, we don't seem to understand to us it's a mystery. But the day is coming when the veil is pulled back and you're going to see and you say, well, God was right all the time. Amen. The revelation is coming when all mysteries will become plain. The scriptural passages that use this particular word are always referring to a direct translation of things heavenly down to our level on the earth. Now, the second coming of Jesus is the revelation. But this word was never used to describe the first coming of Jesus. Never. The incarnation, when when God sent His Son and He was born of the Virgin Mary and He lived for 33 and a half years in the physical body with a flesh like your flesh and my flesh. That walk of Jesus is never referred to in the New Testament as the revelation. The revelation is distinctly the second coming. It's not the first coming of Jesus. The word apocalypse or revelation never is describing a return of somebody who has come once and is coming a second time. That's not what this word means at all. When Jesus came the first time at his incarnation, there was a lot that was not revealed about who he was. Who do men say that I am? Well, how much revelation did a lot of people have? Uh, John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Elijah, one of the prophets. I mean, there was, not everybody had this clue. It took a special gift of revelation from the Father to know who Jesus was. Not everybody knew it. But when he comes again, you will know who he is whether you want to or not. Amen. You will know who he is whether you want to or not. There will be no doubt about the deity of his character it will all be revealed with nothing hidden. That's the truth, and I can't change the truth, so you might as well accept it. Nothing I can do to change that story. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. Whether you believe it or not, it makes no difference. That's the way it is. That's just the way it is. It carries, when you study this word, each of these concepts is really a sermon in itself. But the passage of Scripture that uses this word apocalypse or the revelation to describe the coming of Jesus, not exclusively, but almost exclusively, but not 100%, that word tends to talk about the appearing of the Lord Jesus in respect of what he's going to do to his enemies. The powers of darkness, there's a word that Satan hates. There's a word that fallen angels hate. There's a word that demons hate. I'll tell you what it is. It's revelation. It's apocalypse. They hate the word. Why? Because they know at the revelation, they're done. Hallelujah. Didn't someone once say a long time ago, when the devil reminds you of your past, you just tell him of his future. Ever heard that one before? I mean, just tell him of his future. He hates this concept. Because listen to the words in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, 8 about what happens to the enemy when Jesus shows up. The apocalypse, as far as the demons are concerned. 
It says, and to you who are troubled, those who are going through suffering and persecution, you can be at rest with us. Because the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. And when he does, he comes with mighty angels. He comes in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that don't know God and that don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be in their shoes. It's a revelation of his power. The enemy's scared of that day. But for you and I, we're not scared of that day because we're already tasting the powers of the world to come. And for you and I, well, doesn't the Bible say in 1 Corinthians, we know in part and we prophesy in part? Doesn't it say now that we see through a glass darkly? Not everything is crystal clear to us. There's, we see shapes and shadows. I'll tell you what, in that day, when that which is perfect has come, you won't just know in part. You're going to have the revelation and you see him face to face. The revelation that is waiting for us. The passages of scripture that use this word always describe this event as a strictly, listen to this, it's momentary event, it's a miraculous event, it's catastrophic in the absolute sense. It comes suddenly, you can't expect it. It's in the twinkling of an eye. You don't see it coming. Do me a favor and blink your eye. How fast was that? Try it again. That fast, the story ends. That quick. All God's got to do is show up, folks. There's no prolonged battle. That quick, your body's resurrected from immortality to mortality. That quick, you're changed from incorrupt, incorrupt, corruptible to incorruptible. I've got to get that right. <laughs> that quick, you go from weakness to power. That quick, the world is judged. That quick, the entire universe is renovated into glory that fast. Are you getting when it says the twinkling of an eye? How fast that happens? This is no five-year campaign or seven-year campaign dealing with Antichrist and all the wars. There is no campaign that's going to take a hundred years for this to happen. Blink your eyes and is that fast and the story's over. That is our God. Are we catching this? That is our God. A third word that is used, and, and, and some of you may recognize this word, especially if you are familiar with more liturgical type of churches where you have seasons built in your church calendar, you might recognize the word epiphany. Anybody recognize that word? Epiphany. That is a word that describes the appearing of the Lord. But the reason you might be familiar with it, because in a couple of passages, not too many, the New Testament uses that word epiphany to also describe the first coming of the Lord. When it says in Luke 1.79, to give light to them that sit in darkness, that Greek word is epiphany. But it's used a lot in the New Testament to describe the final appearing of the Lord. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. 
Jesus Christ. His appearing is just not just the day of the Lord. His appearing is not just a revel, uh, an apocalypse or revelation. His appearing is also the epiphany. Now, what, what does that word mean? What concept is being brought forth here? The word means to bring something into the light. The, mean, the word means to cause to shine or to cause it to be shown. Remember the story in the book of Acts, chapter 27, in the shipwreck? Do you remember how for 14 days they were in storm at sea and the boat was getting shipwrecked and they ended up on the island of Malta? Do you remember that story? It, it says there that even though 14 days at night, they didn't know when it was day and they didn't know when it was night because of the storm and the clouds. And they didn't know when the sun came up and they didn't know when the sun came down. But eventually, after 14 days, the stars appeared. They did an, an epiphany. Now, they were always there, weren't they? But they were just covered and nobody could see. But that which was always there but invisible is now made to be shown and to be seen. That's what this word epiphany means. It's a stronger word than revelation or apocalypse because revelation is just taking away the veil so you can see. But epiphany means that what you're seeing is brilliant. You've got to shield your eyes from it. It's going to be so brilliant and so bright. There's going to be an outshining of what was hidden. It's going to be so bright that the Bible declares for you to be able to handle the revelation of the glory that will be revealed in that day, you need to be transformed yourself. You're going to need a resurrected body. Otherwise, you'll never handle it. And God is going to transform you so that you can receive the revelation of His glory. That's amazing, isn't it? That is amazing. Do you remember the story of the transfiguration? When Peter took, or Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain. Remember that story? Now, when they went up the mountain, what did they see? They saw their teacher look like a man. But how many know that Jesus was more than a teacher? How many know that he was the Son of God from eternity to eternity? But as you look at him, he just appeared as another man. Within, beneath his flesh, out of your sight, you just couldn't see who he really was. But the Bible says that on the Mount of Transfiguration, his clothes began to glow so white as no foolish brush could clean them. And there was this dazzling glory shining out of him. On that day, it's not just Peter and James and John who are going to see it for a moment. On that day, the entire creation, heaven and earth and hell and everything, is going to witness that. Not just for a moment, but for eternity. And in order for you to handle that revelation, as I said before, (laughs) you need a resurrected body or you're not going to handle it. You can't, nobody can approach such brilliance of light, the Bible says. But there's going to be an epiphany. The final word I want to use, another word is parousia. It's another word the New Testament would use in the Greek language, the parousia of the Lord. Matthew 24, 3, what shall be the sign of your coming? The parousia. 2 Thessalonians 2.1 Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming, or the parousia, 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean, that his coming is a parousia? It's a day, it's a revelation, it's an epiphany, and now it's a parousia. What does that mean? The word means, even in ordinary everyday language, it means, I will personally arrive at your place. I'm not sending a representative. I myself become personally present with you. And not only does it mean I'm going to arrive at your place, but after I'm arrived at your place, I'm with you. I am personally present with you. Church, Jesus is coming to be personally present with you. I'll say that again, just so you can let me know you're excited about that concept. Jesus is coming so that he may be personally present with you. Hallelujah. Again, this word is never used about the first coming of Jesus either. It is not a second coming to Jesus it's never, he, he never has a parousia again. While the New Testament understood that Jesus did come at his incarnation, and he took on human flesh, and he lived for 33 years upon this world, the New Testament never looked at that first coming of Jesus as his presence. They didn't understand it that way. They never referred to that period of time as the Lord's presence. The word always means arrival. It never means to return. And it's wrong in, with this Greek word to refer to this as a second coming because he has never come present in history yet the way he's going to become present at that point. He's never done it before. This is not going to be a repeat performance. This is going to be the first and final act of his presence. Jesus is going to come and he's going to arrive in a manner far different from his incarnation. You see, we need to look at this final day through two aspects. If I stand here, and this is the day, and if I go back to this side of the room, and I stand about here, and this is the first coming of Jesus, when he became incarnate and took on flesh. But let me go back a little further, before the heavens and the earth were even created way back in eternity before the book of Genesis. God the Father loved His Son and has designed all of creation for the sake of His Son. Out of His love for His Son, He designed the heavens and the earth as a gift to His Son. And He especially designed man to be the image of the Son who would also receive the life of the Son In other words, his son would receive a body through which he may express himself. And if sin had never occurred, I could go from here. And if sin had never occurred, I can come to this final day here when the Lord would appear to take possession of his inheritance. And he would glorify it with his glory. Even if sin had never happened, that was the plan. But sin did happen. I mean, once created, it didn't take long for man to go. 
And when man fell, all the creation fell with him. So Jesus came in the flesh 2,000 years ago to you and I, and he started the salvation story. Amen. Because we had to be redeemed from our sin, but we also had to be redeemed from our sin and plugged back in to God's purpose for why we were created in the first place. And God's purpose is to be glorified with Christ. But sin kind of short-circuit. You know Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of... Of what? The glory. What? Have I ever told you the end of the story? Is glory. If sin had never happened, that was still my destiny to be glorified with Christ. But sin did happen and short-circuited the whole process. So God sent His Son in the flesh to redeem me from my sin. And now that I'm redeemed and saved and Spirit-filled, the Holy Spirit is taking me, increasing my sanctification, hopefully, you know, developing in the Lord to participate in that day. And so, in respect of my salvation, I could say, it's a second coming because he came once to start it and once to finish the story of my salvation. But if sin had never occurred, it's not a second coming. It's the day when the Father makes good and all his promises to his Son. It is his appearing. When God's eternal purposes for his Son are summarized and fulfilled. So they called that that day the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. What that means is this. The DNA of every atom that God has ever created, the foundation of the DNA of every atom is glory. That is catastrophic change, folks. That is massive change. Not just me get a resurrected body. Thank what are you laughing at? <laughs> Who did that anyway? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Not only am I changed, but so are you. Come on, let's get this fair now. But so is all creation. There's going to be a new heavens, there's going to be a new earth. All of creation right now is just groaning under this burden of sin. If you and I are not longing for the appearing of the Lord, why don't you just listen to the earth talk? All those famines, all those earthquakes, all those storms, all those upheavals, is simply the whole earth, according to Romans chapter 8, groaning in travail, waiting. The whole creation, the heavens and the earth, is just waiting for that appearing. Because on that day, creation is set free. And creation is glorified. Heaven is glorified. It's all over in that day. And creation is just waiting for that moment when the DNA of everything that God had created in the entire heavens, in the entire earth, glory becomes the foundation of all the DNA. That, folks, is my future. Are you along for the ride with me? That is where we are headed to. And when we talk about the presence of the Lord, that's it. Now thank God through the gift of the Holy Spirit today, you and I can go into seasons where we can sense 
Didn't you feel God in the service today? Wasn't the presence of the Lord great today? You know, tomorrow you might wake up with no sense of God's presence, but right now it's kind of nice. You know, we have the presence of the Lord, but I am telling you, when the presence is revealed, when the presence is revealed, that's my future. That is your future. When Jesus came in His incarnation, not everybody knew who He was. So I said, it's all going to be revealed this time. As you read the New Testament, the New Testament church was eager and hungry and looking for and anticipating and desiring that day. Amen. We're hungry for that day. It's catastrophic. It's the point of eventuation. It's momentous. It's going to carry supreme and absolute change. And it's on the weight of every New Testament believer that that is your future. On that day, the fullness of God's promises arrive. God is perfectly present with us in the fullness of His revelation with no context of sin whatsoever. He will arrive in all His eternal splendor to be fully at one with you and me. That is our future. Let me summarize quickly. These terms, the day, the apocalypse, the epiphany, the parousia, whatever term you want to meditate upon, they all describe not the climb up the mountain, but they describe the summit of the mountain. That's where we are are headed to. It's like when God created the heavens and the earth, it was like conception. When Jesus appears, the conception gives way to birth. When God created heavens and the earth, He created you, He had something in mind. He conceived some thoughts, He conceived His heart, conceived His will for His Son, and it was birthed. But when He comes again, His appearing, that which is conceived is birthed. And that's the figurative language that Paul uses in Romans chapter 8. All creation's waiting for it. You and I should be waiting for it too. This last thought here. We've been talking about the revelation of Christ. We've talked about how creation will be changed. I'm going to leave this thought with you. It's not only Christ who is revealed, but get this. It is the believer who is a joint heir with Christ who is also revealed. Listen to these scriptures. Matthew 13:43 The righteous will shine as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Listen to Daniel 12 and verse 3 They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. When Peter wrote 1 Peter, he was writing to people who were being persecuted, who were being terribly mistreated, who were suffering. Did you know in 1 Peter that he uses the appearing of the Lord to encourage them how to hang in there when it gets tough? Because he says in chapter 1, verse 13, the grace will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
He is saying at that day, all your wrongful suffering, you will be vindicated for at that day. Listen, 1 Peter 1.7, The trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. At the appearing of Christ. 1 Peter 4, 13-14 But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you reproach for the name of Christ, get happy about it, for the Spirit of glory is resting on you. The Spirit of glory is resting on you, folks. The day of vindication is coming, according to Peter. Therefore, you remain true in your suffering, and you remain true during the time of persecution, because your vindication is coming. Great grace will be brought to you at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Three more verses. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, get this, then you also will appear with Him in glory. It's not just the revelation of Christ as the heir, but it's the revelation of you and I as the joint heirs of Christ. There is a revelation of you at that day as well. Romans 8.14-30 puts it this way. The sufferings of this present time, the persecutions, the trials, the difficulties. When you get to that day and you see the glory, listen to the wording, which shall be revealed in us. It's going to make all of that persecution as the most trivial thing that ever happened to you. There is no comparison. No comparison. First John 3, verse 2, and I'm done. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. Did I ever tell you the end of the story is glory? That's my future. That's your future. Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen.